He saw the other plane coming. He could have ran, got on the stairwell, tried to get out of there. You know what he did? Overall, it has to do with the safety of our kids in the classroom. There comes a point, even when your kids love you, when they're teenagers, they're way smarter than you, right? What is the answer? What do the schools need to do? And now, the safety zone. Good morning, Mike. Here for another episode of the Safety Zone, and going to talk about something in, in particular because in our it just in private conversations, it was something I I personally had not connected. And as we are in August now, and we're we're coming close, some kids have already started school or semblance of it, and some are starting the end of August or supposed to, and then others like in my area, September, but we're coming into that time of school starting. And with COVID, there's, of course, everything has still been up and down. And are they going to be full-time in my area? Are they going to be a hybrid of home and at the school? But in the midst of all of this, we've had COVID and we have the action with the police and the defunding of police kind of movements throughout the country in the wake of you know horrific happenings with George Floyd. And you mentioned it was a perfect storm for a setup for really our schools and a danger. And that's just so relevant for people to hear because I had never looked at that way. So we're going to talk about that today. And maybe you could just start us out and what that perfect storm is. Why, how do these two things connect when it comes to our schools and the safety of our kids? Yeah. Good morning. It just feels like schools have become a Petri dish. And I actually told our superintendent, I had a son graduate last weekend. Here it is the 1st of August. And I said, I just appreciate that you pushed on this and let it happen. You know, at least they get a walk across the stage. But I also mentioned, I know you're drinking from a fire hose right now. Summer is always an extraordinarily busy time for schools because they're implementing new procedures, new curriculum, new software, new security measures. And now all of a sudden we're going to throw in the biggest thing they've ever had placed on their lap, which is a pandemic. Then we're going to say every single day, we're going to change the rules about what's going to happen. And schools are starting to open. And I saw a school here in Indiana opened and it's closed again already ready because mm-hmm. parents sent a child to school knowing they had been exposed instead of keeping them home for 14 days. Who has not read the paper or watched TV lately? Come on, parents. Right. Let's be wise about this. And so as I was reading through some of the materials for our kids going back to school, and I really started to see a theme here. And the theme is we're changing a lot of things related to COVID that we've put in place over the last decade to keep schools safe. And Mm. so we've got to be extraordinarily cautious here. I get it. We've got this potential pandemic, this enemy, this disease. But if we're not careful, we get so focused tunneled in. Mm. And we've talked about this with active shooter in the past. School safety Mm. is much broader than only focusing on one aspect. It almost feels like we're doing the same tunnel on COVID and we're going to kind of remove some of the rules and policies and procedures that we've had in place in the past. And are we opening ourselves up for a higher risk of opportunity for something to happen inside the school? 
And then I come back to everything that happened a few months ago in Minneapolis. And then you've got this broad movement across the United States to defund police. And we've seen it happen in New York, and it's a growing movement. And last night I was looking at statistics. So when I talk, I'm not just politicizing what I'm saying. I'm looking at numbers. Numbers speak. Data speaks. And when you tell me that murder is up 140% in the city of Chicago, mm. murders are up 140%. Now you've got some were saying yesterday, well, we don't know if that was an increase in domestic violence. Well, we'll know very quickly because those numbers are going to be assigned. They're going to be, are they domestic violence murders? Are they drug related? So they'll be categorized. But right. overall, we've seen this huge spike in murders, not just in Chicago, but violent crime in cities that have moved very quickly to rescind, control, neuter the police and not allow them to do their job. How does that play out in our schools come fall? Because we see in a lot of these locations getting police out of the schools. We don't want police around our children. And now we're creating this perfect environment where we don't know. Who do we know commits most of the active shooter or violent crime in schools? It's not people from the outside coming in. It's typically a student. Who knows about all the policy changes right now? Students. Who knows if their school's removing school resource officers or police? Students. So I'm seeing teachers scared or scared about going back to school and COVID. I'm telling you right now, if I'm in a school district that has removed all of these security in the school, I'm much more scared of that than I am of COVID because these kids that do this are not stupid. Right. Because for them to circumvent the kind of security measures that many schools have in place to be able to get into the school with a weapon and be able to do what they do. There's a lot of thinking that goes into this. You look at the Secret Service report, it will show you there was planning involved in this. It wasn't I just got mad, grabbed a gun, went barreling back into the school. That's a little easier to stop because you're ignorant. You see it, you show it, you're not hiding it. It's not well thought out. It's an emotional reaction to something that versus a a real plotting. And how many times do we react as adults emotionally? And when I do, like with my children, when I react emotionally, I usually have to go back later and say, "Mm, hey, I'm sorry about that. I probably shouldn't have said it quite that way because you don't think, you just react. But it just feels like with school coming back into session in most places Mm -hmm. that we're creating this kind of perfect storm of opportunity for any kid who was thinking about this in the past. Even just with what you were saying about the resource officers, I I think a concern that I have is, and and again, I certainly understand the frustration, wanting some action and justice in terms of George Floyd. And finding that balance, I think my concern is just when you have the pendulum swing real far the other way, where we're in maybe in the eyes of these students too, where you're vilifying the police or vilifying the the resource officers. It seems like there's an atmosphere being set up that even in pulling them creates just a whole psychological aspect there, doesn't it? I agree. If you are listening to this every day, And 
my kids are not watching a lot of TV. And I've been trying to get my dad off the TV because nothing really positive being stated on there right Mm -hmm. now. But if I'm hearing a message over and over again, you can't trust the police. The police are bad. All police do these things. Let's take New York as an example. So we defund, what, a billion dollars of uh, of the police department. They're moving or trying to move the safety and security school resource officers away from the police department, moving it back to the Department of Education in New York, where my understanding, I'm just saying my understanding is that was relatively disastrous before with not just active shooter. It was more just gang-related, violent crime. Mm -hmm. I had read a story recently where one of the security officers, because they were non-law enforcement at the time, was actually a gang member. And so flashing signals as a security officer, recruiting gang Mm -hmm. members out of the Mm -hmm. student population, rapes, violent crime was really out of control when the administration at the time came in and took control and moved law enforcement inside the school. But even in suburbia, where they may not be facing those kind of violent crime issues extraordinarily, now they do run the risk of active shooter, which is much more prevalent in suburban schools than it is in urban. Exactly. So you've got that kind of perfect opportunity. But I would also say if you're creating a mistrust of police, it's that tell somebody mentality that we've been working on for a long time. If we can get people to reach out even anonymously when they know something, how often we can thwart some kind of activity. But now if you're telling me I should not trust the police, then am I going to say something when I know that, you know, I heard Johnny over here talking about he's bringing his gun to school tomorrow because of X, Y, and Z. So creating that mistrust is another element. And I would say just as a picture, and I don't care where anybody stands politically because keeping Mm -hmm. kids safe is not a political issue. This world, this country we live in wants to politicize everything. There are things that should be hands off. Keeping our kids safe Mm -hmm. should have nothing to do with politics. And quite honestly, we shouldn't want politicians involved. And I probably shouldn't say that on a podcast, but (laughs) keeping kids safe, keep the politicians out of it. That Mm -hmm. is not their role. And so quit politicizing the safety of our kids. If you look at New York, if you go back to 9-11, when those airplanes hit the World Trade Centers, if you think that the majority of police or firemen in this country do not care about other people, you're gravely mistaken. You're going to meet nobody that's harder on police than me. I come from a whole family of them. I have high expectations. I expect them to be way above the standard Mm -hmm. we set for anybody else. But I'm going to tell you what, when people are running out of buildings and they're running into buildings that they know could collapse at any moment, you're telling me you don't think they're going to keep your kids safe? I'm telling you, they will. I'm telling you, we've gone way too far. There's some bad players. There's some bad apples. There's some people Mm -hmm. that have to be gone from police. But you are taking, in New York as an example, you're taking the tens of thousands of police officers that ran into that building. Some never came back out of that building because they were saving lives. They're talking Mm -hmm. about a police officer that was on like the 40 or 50th floor. 
Yep. And after the first plane hit, he saw the other plane coming. He could have ran, got on the stairwell, tried to get out of there. You know what he did? He said, I'm going to die. And he said, I'm going to be a witness. He got on the phone and he was relaying everything he saw because he knew that plane was going to explode when it hit the building and there might not be anything left of it. It's an American airliner. This is what I see on the tail. You tell me. Mm-hmm. That's not the person you want standing in your school trying to keep your yeah, kids safe. Exactly. That a guy that would sit there and take a 747 or whatever, 727, right through the window because he wanted to make sure that these people were held responsible for what they were doing. So exactly. we've got to put this into context. And I think too, Mike, like you were saying it with the say something and, and there's a lot of groups. And like you said, however, people look at the gun issue or whatever, but there's a lot of groups out there in the wake of that Sandy Hook promise and some of these groups that really focus on saying something and kids having that trust and being able to say something and not be afraid to. And they've developed a whole program that had become popular. And I look at these things and like what you said, especially with adolescents, trust of authority has always been kind of a precarious issue in the teen years. But these resource officers, so much so even in our district, they build relationships with these kids and earn that trust and have worked hard to do that and working for their safety so that these kids can say something. And to see the temperature now and the work that great work that has been done by extra groups, nonprofits on the outside, and also internally on what's going on in the schools. And to see some of that get dismantled is disturbing because overall, it has to do with the safety of our kids in the classroom. And like you said, it's hard here. You got kids that are, they're worried as it is about COVID, but we're going to start stripping away those fail safes and those things that have been put in place these past several years to protect them. What are we going to do in its place? Yeah, that's very frightening. I think anecdotally, we have learned that when you have programs as simple as reporting, anonymous texting, Mm -hmm. systems in place where people can send alerts when they hear something, you know, see something, say something kind of program, these models work. But in the last three months, it feels like we have almost peeled away that trust. And that trust is not easy to build. I have teenagers, okay? There comes a point, even when your kids love you, when they're teenagers, they're way smarter than you, right? Exactly. (laughs) I went through it as well. And so part of it is the right law enforcement in the school that has to be a specially trained school resource officer. I would say in these urban environments, some of the arguments that are being raised, I think are probably absolutely 100% valid arguments. If you've got law enforcement in the school that are strictly there for law enforcement purposes only, then they are going to be viewed very differently in those schools Mm -hmm. than a school resource officer. Soften that appearance. We did that as detectives. When we started out, we actually were a unique detective group when I helped start this program in Nashville where we wore uniforms. We thought it would make victims of violent crime, domestic violence, feel more comfortable and protected while we were in this uniform. What we found was it was intimidating. So we softened it, put on a shirt and tie. We became more humanized. I think the same thing needs to happen here. But just like the story out of New York where they had the security 
throwing gang signals and recruiting with specially trained law enforcement in those schools, they also are recruiters. How are we going to raise up groups of minorities that are interested in this career if we can't give them models and examples of how good police officers can be? Because if Mm -hmm. we don't model this and create a good recruiting opportunity for somebody that may want to go into this career, then what's happening is we're pushing every good person away from this career and we're going to have to fill it with somebody. And so all of this movement is really going to have us backfilling. I can tell you right Mm -hmm. now, there's a state here in the United States that moved very quickly. They created programs to get more armed security in schools. They're not police. Some of them could be retired, but the standards have been very low. Just in the last couple of years, the number of security officers, solicitation of students, sexual solicitation, the number of crimes they're committing that we're trying to prevent by having them in there is enormous. These are non-law enforcement, but maybe they had military background or they go through a two-week or three-week training program and we hand them a gun and we send them into a school to work with children. And so we're seeing models where they've tried to do these things and they simply aren't working well because they are committing other crimes themselves because we didn't get them vetted very well. So, Mike, sometimes it seems overwhelming, doesn't it, when you look at everything going on? And it's been really an unusual year, but what is the answer? What do the schools need to do? I know they have a lot on their plate. What is the answer to all these things? We don't want to dismantle things that have been done. We, of course, want to be diligent and doing what's right on all sides of the spectrum. So what do you suggest? Well, I say caution or think through changes you're making very quickly as it relates to COVID. Let me give you an example. I see schools coming out with policy changes that you now can carry your backpack throughout the school throughout the day. And the reasoning behind that is you are not going back to your locker or they don't want you at a locker. And the reason is all COVID related. I don't know if it's more for touching. I mean, if it's just Mm -hmm. you coming in and out of your locker, that seems like a very low probability that you're going to spread COVID to yourself. Mm -hmm. Or is it the congregating that close together? So some of the policy changes I'm seeing like that are things that we've talked about forever. I mean, we've had schools move toward clear backpacks years ago. Why? Because as they're coming in in the morning, we really don't want to go the magnetometer route. And we really find that going to the metal detectors and things like that, they're really not a deterrent. They're more a deterrent for like gang-related crime and, and those types of crime or criminal behaviors. They're not a real deterrent for active shooter. So we said, hey, go to clear backpacks. You can see what's in the backpacks that are coming in. Well, now they're going to be you got hundreds of kids in a school building floating in and out of the hallways, all carrying backpacks. It's just making it easier to conceal and carry and do some of these things. Are we going to be more concerned with temperature scanning and asking questions coming in the door than we are with making sure that little Johnny isn't sneaking a weapon into school? Are my eyes less focused on the behaviors that I was focused on a year ago as I stand in front of the school each morning and now they're more focused on, hey, get six feet apart? Because quite honestly, let's be honest, you take kids, you're not social distancing them. 
I mean, it's not going to happen, okay? We can say whatever we want. It's not going to happen. I know that in our school district, they're talking about, (laughs) I know I have a teen as well, and this was like totally disturbing to her, but they're talking about cohorting in the sense of bundling basically groups of kids where, especially in high school, kids have different classes and they mingle in the halls and then at lunch and even have different lunch sessions. And they're talking about putting groups of kids where literally they're together all day, going to classes and not mingling with anyone outside of that particular group, which is a little bit challenging because you have kids in different levels too, in different classes and different things. So so there's been talk of that. I'm not quite sure how that's going to work. But the reality is, like you said, though, there's only so much you can do. The elementary schools, I don't know how they're planning on keeping little ones (laughs) apart. But when you look at it, like you said, it's that tunnel vision of Obviously, you want them to be safe in terms of the the pandemic of COVID, but at the same time, you don't want to create this perfect storm where we're opening things up to once again to either an active shooter or somebody else coming in. It's just they have to find that balance, don't they? It's an absolute balance requirement. Everything we do is 360. That's what we talk a lot. If we're working with the church and ministry, it's a 360 solution. If it's a school, part of that 360 solution now is COVID, and it could be Mm -hmm. something else in the future. It's a part of a 360 safety of students solution. It -hmm. cannot be the only thing that we're addressing right now. I know we got to get schools open back up. I know it's critical that we can keep those doors open. We know the social impact of having kids isolated. I can't even imagine the enormity of child abuse and child molestation and crimes against children that have absolutely proliferated during this pandemic. All kinds of things that children don't need to be at home not being able to eat, not having food available. I mean, there's just so many aspects of being socially isolated for populations of kids that is detrimental to them. So I get that we want to get it open, get them back to school and not have to close the doors very quickly, but we cannot close this 360 wheel, this wheel and this slice of pie, part of it is now COVID. I mentioned this way back in April. I was telling our team, I said, pre-COVID, we were working on with our safe visitor solution, our visitor management, volunteer management program. I said, everything we were doing with safe visitor with our advisory board, Paul, who was from the Secret Service, and Tony was a former Navy SEAL. Everything that they were advising us is we keep moving our interactions further from the front door. So instead of the first interaction I have at a school is me standing in front of your desk as the secretary, only to find out, whoa, we shouldn't have let this guy in. We're in trouble. Now we're saying, hey, let's interact with them in a vestibule. Let's use a kiosk. If they pop up on a sex offender registry or they pop up on an excluded parties list, we have them contained. They're not in the building and it's much easier to communicate through an A phone or some kind of system and keep them away from us and our children. I said back in April, I said, our kiosks are going to become 
the same need is now going to exist because instead of you leaning over the desk and <gasps> breathing on me or having to plexiglass me into a cubicle to communicate with the public, I said, they're going to need to interact with that person at a kiosk. So we built in some questions. You can customize and ask some questions. We looked at fever detection. The science is not there. It's not worth the money. So we have to do some self-reporting here. People have to be honest. I know that's a stretch sometimes, and people are not always going to tell you the truth. However, if we can ask some questions, have you had a temperature above 100.5? Have you been tested awaiting results? Whatever questions you want to ask, based on those responses, any yes locks the kiosk. They cannot enter. It can give them a message, tell them to buzz, communicate, where now you're telling them, hey, because you had a test, it hasn't come back yet. Until that test comes back negative, you're not allowed to visit in the school. So that's part of the 360 is now mm-hmm. we're looking at disease moving further from the front door and needing to interact before they're standing inside where they may infect other people. So it's got to mm-hmm. be that same kind of mindset that this is a 360 solution. Let's don't get so tunneled in that we create a perfect storm of danger that comes walking through our door because we're only looking for an, an unseen virus. Yes. Well, Mike, as usual, so much information to take in, and yet there are solutions. We have to, as you said, it's 360. It's not just one, and and we don't sacrifice one aspect of safety for another aspect, right? So it's bringing it all together. And as you eloquently have said, and I just encourage anyone listening, if you are in school administration, please, if you have any questions, if you even need some advice, please reach out to Safe Hiring. You can simply go to the website. Mike, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Yeah, we have a number of ways easy. Go to the website, safehiringsolutions.com. We have live chat. We've got all of our email addresses on there. You can email me directly, anybody on our team. We have direct dial phone numbers on there. So access to us is is very easy. And, And I can tell you, I'm talking to superintendents of large public schools, small private schools all over the United States. And I've been doing this for months. And part of that is what are you doing? How are you doing it? How's it working? What do you think? What are you doing in Washington state? Hey, then I can take that and share it with some of our schools in Florida or Texas or Connecticut or New York. And so I've been taking the pulse of schools now for 60 plus days and really kind of assessing how are you opening hybrid every other day? How are you managing that? So part of this is not reinventing the wheel, but really working together collectively to approach this. And so I got a ton of information, no cost for sharing any of that information. Um, All you got to do is contact us. Absolutely. And we get a lot further when we all work together on solutions than individually. So yes, we do encourage you to to reach out to the website, chat, call. And I know Mike and his team are more than willing to give advice and to just work through a lot of these very difficult situations in the year that we're having. So thank you, Mike, once again, and we look forward to coming back with another episode soon. Thanks, Melinda. This podcast was sponsored by Safe Hiring Solutions. See us at safehiringsolutions.com.